are Locked On Big 12, your daily podcast on the Big 12 Conference, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here for the Locked On Big 12 Podcast. It is March 12th, 2021. On the show today, Corbett Koslack and I review a jam-packed Thursday in the Big 12 with those four uh, quarterfinal games, and we preview the semifinals here on today's show. Hello, everybody. It is a uh, great morning to be talking college basketball. It is March 12th, 2021. I am Josh Neighbors. Joining me is Corbett Koslack. We've got a full day of Big 12 basketball from yesterday to talk about. Two games coming up today, but Corbett, yesterday, we hyped it up, and all four games were good. Like, I know they were good in various ways, but every single game brought something to the table yesterday, and it was a tremendous day in our great conference. Yeah, well, two games were, you know, all-timers. We're going to be talking about for a while, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, and Texas, Texas Tech. Oklahoma made played maybe the worst half of basketball that they've played all season. Uh, and then Baylor, Kansas. So it's, Baylor, Kansas State was great in the fact that Baylor didn't win by 60. So, uh, yeah, it was just it was an all-around great day. Also, outside the Big 12, it was an all-around great day. Yeah. And we're looking forward to, you know, the next three weeks of great days. So. <clears throat> yeah, and something we should mention before we get into basketball, I know we want to be positive, but, you know, th- this uh, – I, I think the message here is enjoy it while we can, right? Because Duke won two games and was out of the ACC tournament, and their, their season's effectively over. Georgia Tech – is moving on to the ACC championship game because UVA on the heels of a day where they hit a buzzer beater got removed from their ACC semifinal game today against Georgia Tech because of COVID issues. And luckily for them, we think that UVA should be able to play in the NCAA tournament, but we should enjoy this stuff while we can, because we, you never know when there's going to be a situation uh, that changes very quickly and really puts one of these teams uh, it ends their season. Uh, I know something comes in jeopardy and, and it doesn't happen for them. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, they should be able to get in and play. Well, what, something that, you know, I, I don't know all the technicalities and how the, the days and that kind of stuff works, but South Greenberg was mentioning last night on the ESPN halftime show, they're supposed to have seven days of, of, of negative tests before they even enter the bubble. And they're supposed to be in the bubble for a couple of days before they play. So like the time frame is getting kind of, kind of tight right now but yeah i think the message for the last year um has been you know take it for granted i mean uh bulgarian soccer skyrocketed in uh you know viewership because everything else was gone uh there for a while so uh i just think you take what take it one day at a time one shot at a time and uh that's kind of you know that's what the coaches are doing and that's what we're doing the atlantic 10 did it right you know had they had their tournament last week they sent their two teams to Indianapolis, I believe that's where they're playing the conference championship game on Saturday. So both their teams, uh, I believe it is what it's VCU and St. Bonaventures, I believe are their two championship teams. Um, they're going to be Indianapolis and they're actually both teams that we think will make the NCAA tournament. That was smart. They've been sitting there for a week. You're, just, you're worried. You know what I mean? These conference tournaments feel so weird. And the fact these guys are all together playing different teams, different days, it feels, you know, it's scary, right? It's scary. And for the A-10, too, it's it's not necessarily the same exact thing, but, you know, they've been hosting the first four for 
uh, however long now. And that's in kind Dayton, of, yeah. you know, that's, I mean, it's along the same lines. In the fact I actually, that, I, I don't know if they're in Dayton or Indy. I, I might be wrong. They might actually be I'm, in Dayton. No, I'm just saying as far yeah. as, yeah, yeah, you're right. um, you know, getting teams together to play somewhere else and like organizing that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's certainly, you know, within the A-10's uh, purview to be able to do that. Um, so, right. yeah, good call on their part. All right, let's do this. So last night you and I talked about recording, but I, I mean, I was just so, I was tuckered out. I, I couldn't bring the energy, couldn't bring the excitement. I woke up this morning. I was reinvigorated. I thought about everything we saw yesterday. <clears throat> and so where do you want to start? I, I think we should start with the first game of the day, in my opinion. You want to, you want to start on the lower side of the bracket, the early side of the bracket? Let's just go will? chronological order, I think. Is, uh, all right, so let's do chronological order. So the day starts off yesterday with the classic that we all thought we, we would get. Um, Oklahoma State and West Virginia have played three times. And the ending margin on this this season, I believe, is going to end up being Oklahoma State plus five in all three of those games. They've all been decided by five points or less. I believe West Virginia won by three. Um, Oklahoma State won by five. And then yesterday, Oklahoma State won by three again. This was this was an unbelievable college basketball game. Um Sean McNeil takes heat for not getting the three up at the end. Here's the thing that, that, that three gets blocked if he shoots it too early. So I don't know why people are mad at him. Like you, you got to try that. That shot goes straight down to the ground. If he, if he shoots it originally. So, well, you know, and secondly, uh, piggybacking on that point, uh, you can't exactly look at the clock at that moment when you're about to look, shoot, you won't be looking at the clock and shooting at the rim. That's not a good combination yes. either. Now you got to have a body clock and you can kind of, you know, put it on, West Virginia, the way things worked out at the end, maybe they could have saved more clock, but it's definitely not on Sean McNeil. Yeah, this game was back and forth. There were 10 lead changes. The largest lead of the game was Oklahoma State by 10. I think West Virginia had an eight-point lead. And look, we talk about Cade Cunningham all the time, but to me, Corbett, ever since you and I were on here and talked, and I made the quote saying that Oklahoma State, to me, felt like a team that would not make it out of the first weekend. What's happened is this. The other guys on that team look like superstars. They, and in the sense of they can have superstar games, right? Avery Anderson has had a had 30 point game, right? The other day in the absence of Cade Cunningham. Uh, the Boone brothers, I think we've seen a couple big time double doubles, especially from Caleb Boone at points in this season, as my, as my thing goes off. Um, We've seen some big, you know, they've had big time performances and big time, right? He's had a couple like massive, like 24, 20 plus point, double, double, 10 rebound, double doubles. And that's what, that's what I think is, is what we have to pay attention to, uh, you know, moving forward here. Um, I love the fact that for them, Avery Anderson gives them another 17, right? Uh, Boone goes for five and 10, but those are 10 big rebounds. It felt like yesterday and uh, Bryce Williams hit a couple huge threes in this game. They get 10 points off the bench from ice likely who came back from injuries. And look, this was a classic Oklahoma state game. And what I think they're not getting enough credit for Corbett is I believe their defense has really improved. Uh, you know, and we talk about their offense as well. I think for a team that's as undersized as they are, they do a great job flying around the perimeter. And also that defense is what really stopped that last Sean McNeil shot from going up. Well, you see a microcosm of the way they use their size. Cade Cunningham was already at an NBA level when it comes to boxing out on like inside rebounds. There was a rebound at the end of that game where he's like boxing out Derek Culver and just grabs the rebound with one arm, like to, to, to essentially save the game at that point, that would have given West Virginia another shot to take the lead with like a minute to go. 
you kind of hit on a couple of things. One I think I'd like to point out too is this this whole run of success kind of coincides with Keelan Boone re-entering the rotation. Uh, so, you know, there was quite a while there where he was playing two and three minutes a game. He played 13 minutes yesterday, scored seven points on six shots. He gives them more length uh, along with his brother. We've talked all season about maybe they, maybe, they, maybe they lack size, but length is not something that they struggle all that much with. I think Isaac likely is kind of uh, assimilating himself nice back into the lineup. He put up 10 off the bench yesterday, all around a fun game. And what's kind of turning into, especially with, with the resurgence or a surgence rather of, of Avery Anderson, Cade Cunningham doesn't have to have 15 possessions a game where he just goes down ISOs and scores a bucket. He did that a handful of times yesterday, which, you know, they appreciate because you need every bucket you can get mm-hmm. in a game like that. But you don't have to have that moment um, where there is a 10-minute stretch like that game against Oklahoma where Kate Cunningham just has to score every time down or you lose. Uh, Avery Anderson kind of taking, taking a little bit away from that. And they're another team on the down end of shooting threes, right? So they only shot 19 threes, which might sound like a lot, but that's not very much in the grand. That's actually, that's a lot for them. That, that That's a lot of threes for them. It's a lot of threes for them. And they made enough of them, right? So they were only six of 19, which isn't great, but they made enough threes to keep them in the ball game. It's not, they don't have to make them at a high percentage. They have to make enough to make people, you know, be honest against guarding it and not just pack the paint and not let Kate do anything. Well, that that's what goes to like, they're so good at attacking the rim as a team, right? This team is really good at getting downhill and Cade's a huge part of that. What, like, like you mentioned too, I want to get back to this actually to, to hit on Cade because I was very complimentary of, of the rest of the team, you know, what he does for them. He was guarding Derek Culver. He was, he was their five, right? So the same goal, the same guy who's handling the ball up the court is playing five for them because of his size and his athleticism. And, and I, I don't know, Corbin, if you agree, it, it just, maybe it's just my eyes playing tricks on me. He looks like he's gotten more physically mature as the season has gone along. Like he looks like, you know, his body might not look totally different, but like he knows how to hang in the post with Culver. Um, the only time I thought, <clears throat> excuse me, Culver got free was on some dribble drives where, you know, somebody had come over and help and Culver was in the back end and maybe got a board or whatever. But to the West Virginia point of this, uh, try number two to get Bob Huggins number 900, right? Uh, actually, try number three, I believe, right? I think the, the Baylor game could have been um, 900 for him. And then this game comes along, not able to get 900 for him again. Really difficult position because this is a team that I've been saying has the talent to make a Final Four run, but – you know, Miles McBride was was loose with the basketball towards the end of that game, and Bob Huggins ended up having to sit him on the bench, right? I think between like the nine minute mark and the five minute mark in that second half, he he didn't have McBride out there. Now, I thought that decision paid off because when he came back in the game, he looked a bit more focused, and they did a really good job of getting Taz Sherman the rock late because he was going off. I mean, he was hitting everything, but um, I thought you know. I, I thought Bob Huggins did the best job he could managing this game, considering the circumstances. I just don't think the guys executed in the end. I thought Oklahoma State just legit beat them. A couple notes, um, too. First of all, the benching Deuce McBride thing is, was a theme yesterday in the Big 12, but we'll get to it a little bit later. Yeah. Also, uh, I don't mean to, like, say, hey, you know, this was more than a three-point game, but if you take into account that Deuce McBride went on, like, a single-handedly 4-0 run at the end of halftime that you happens once in 100 games, and the fact that Cade Cunningham missed the most easy, the easiest dunk he's going to have in the history of his career, this game was a lot closer to being a double-digit uh, game than it was. One thing I noticed, too, 
especially for Mike Boynton, who's, you know, on the young end of coaches. And they make a lot out of the fact that the Big 12 has, you know, numerous coaches that have been to Final Fours. Uh, and he's in here, you know, holding his own with those coaches. At the end of halftime, after Miles, or at the at halftime, after Miles McBride uh, wrecked, the, wrecked the game, really. I mean, it was, it was, they were leading, it was close. And the next thing you know, they're going to the locker room down six. They interview him. Uh, at halftime on ESPN, and he's like the most calm, cool, collected. Like that game did that did not affect him at all, at least not publicly. That 4 0 run, 6 0 run in the half, but 4 0 by Miles McBride after he calls the timeout. I don't know what he was like in the locker room, but when the head of your team is that cool, calm, and collected after kind of a disaster into the half, that says a lot about where he's at and where they're at a team because they came out of the locker room ready to go. Well, I want to mention this too because he talked about it how. People have mentioned how, you know, black coaches a lot are relationship guys, right? Recruiters. And the, what all you need to know about, you know, him and that, and that, that kind of view of black coaches is look at the individual player development for all of these guys in the team. Look how much better everybody's gotten and look how much better the team has gotten. So throw that crap out the window. You know, don't, don't bring that in here. Mike, Mike Boyden, the job he has done with this team the fact that he's got a superstar, right? The fact that he's got a bunch of people from all over the place, bringing them together and having them grow together the way they have and have it manifest itself like this is impressive. Now, the question for them is, can they beat Baylor? The reason why, you know, we're kind of get, get into this now, but what you can't do is hand Baylor those extra possessions, right? The turnover numbers for Cade Cunningham are high. In that first, Baylor, the, well, he's only played Baylor once. In that Baylor game, Cade has five turnovers, uh, the last Baylor game I'm mentioning here, five turnovers, and Oklahoma State turns the ball over 18 times. Uh, Baylor was plus four in that category. This is an issue that they have to clean up because they're getting so good to the point where they're, look, they're on the doorstep. But if you're going to hand the top end, so let's just say if you're going to hand Illinois, if you're going to hand Michigan, you're going to hand Gonzaga, and you're going to hand Baylor five to six extra possessions every game you're not going to win Plain yeah, I mean, that, that, that's really what it comes down to i think uh first of all all the credit in the world to uh bob was and ran fishella who were there for ran the gamut yesterday our guys ran the they, gamut they were they were excellent man. too all the way all, all the way through yeah. hit on it really early and really often in that oklahoma state west virginia game about kate cunningham being a high dribbler it's because he's six eight and uh, you know, it's not exactly easy to get the ball low to the floor like Avery Anderson can dribble it an inch off the ground and go all the way to the hole. It's not exactly Cade Cunningham's forte uh, against those good teams, especially teams like Baylor, because you don't really think of Gonzaga or Illinois or Michigan. I mean, Michigan a little bit, but as excellent like guard defensive teams. Baylor is a guard dependent, excellent defensive team. Uh, one of the best guard dependent, excellent defensive teams of like this century. And if Cade Cunningham is, is, is loose with the basketball, it's going to be really hard to stay in those games. Quick pause for the cause here today on the Locked On Big 12 podcast. Today's show is brought to you by betonline.ag. You guys know the deal. BetOnline is the only place that we trust, the only place that has you covered wall-to-wall for all your action. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Football might be over, but the NBA, college hoops, the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers award shows, TV shows, and reality TV. 
They've got real-time updated odds on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website to use your mobile device and sign up right now and use your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit using that promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, let's move on to Baylor now. And I also, the point of the high dribbler is exactly correct. And you can see he's a little bit loose where he kind of sees something happening. And, you know, the kind of, he's kind of waiting for the ball to get there. And then the pass is kind of a little slow. Like he does need to, I mean, he's, he's a brilliant passer, especially when he's going downhill. I think he gets caught on the perimeter sometimes with his, with the passing. Right. I, I feel like when he's not, you know, going towards the rim and kind of he's, he's in that attack mode, that's when he gets, you know, turned over just a bit uh, in my opinion, but I think it's an astute point And it's, I'm glad you brought that one up. All right, let's go to maybe the most, Interesting result of yesterday. Baylor 74, Kansas State 68. Um, we talked about it on the other night after the Kansas State TCU game. I think Bruce Weber deserves a load of credit for not the first half of the season. And, and you know, the Fort A State stuff's inexcusable. But this effort today, yesterday, they put forward. I would say that's the culmination of everything they worked for this season. He knows that they're not going to win shootouts against teams. So what does they, what do they do really well? They play excellent, excellent defense at times this year. And this is another example where I thought they played really good defense. Um, it felt like a majority of Baylor's three point shots were contested. There was a hand somewhere around the three point shots and that made things very challenging for the Baylor Baylor, uh, Baylor bears, excuse me. And something else we have to mention is Davion Bradford produced a lot of problems yesterday for Baylor. And he's a very raw seven footer from St. Louis scores 18 points, only grabs three rebounds, but they did have to con- deal with his size, contend with that size that he brought to the table Corbett. And, and this exposes something that we've talked about all season long. Baylor is going to struggle. We think with elite size, it's just going to happen. Well, well, Baylor yesterday shot 53% from the field. And to Kansas State's point, they made them shoot 53% from the field. They won by six, right? If they don't shoot over 50%, they don't win They don't win mm-hmm. the basketball game. Uh, Kansas State got barely out-rebounded, which to hold your own rebounding against a team like Baylor, that's not huge, but they have excellent guard rebounders, and they and they do uh, team rebound very yes. well. Yes, Kansas State shot decent from three. It's hard to, you know, think about it's hard to think about anything down the road when, you know, your season is over at this point. But yeah, Baylor's gonna struggle with elite size. Baylor kind of since they came back from that break hasn't necessarily been, you know, the dominant Baylor team. They've they've been winning basketball games. They beat Texas Tech by 15, um, but they still gave up 73 points in that game. 88 points scored um for Baylor in that game. Baylor uh, you know, Oklahoma State was close most of the way. They had to go to overtime to beat West Virginia. Then they keep a close game against Kansas State. Uh, it's not exactly been the Baylor that we saw early in the season, but I think slowly but surely they're rounding into form. And they did struggle yesterday with size, but the good thing for them is that Oklahoma State today does not pre- present any of that kind of problem. Well, it's a great matchup for Baylor. And, and here's the thing, Cor, what we have to mention is that the big three, the guard big three for Baylor has been lights out here in the recent games. I mean, you get six for 12 for Butler for 18 points. Uh, Davion, Davion Mitchell is, is, I mean, he attacked the rims a couple times yesterday and that guy is in tournament mode. Oh, and not, let's not forget who also is in tournament mode. Macy OT goes 10 of 15 yesterday 
for 24 points on the heels of a 35-point performance uh, against Texas Tech. And I'll tell you what, Davion Mitchell is coming to play, or excuse me, uh, Macy Oteague's coming to play right now. His last three games, he scored 19 points, 35 points, and 24 points. And oh yeah, he's shooting the rock very efficiently. Um, he went uh, in that game against Oklahoma State. Dear God, I think he's coming on. Uh, Oklahoma State, he scored 19 on 7-12 to 12 shooting. Uh, Texas Tech was 35 on 11 of 15. And last night against Kansas State is 24 points, came on 10 of 15. This is a team that is playing great team basketball. Yeah, it wasn't pretty yesterday. And yes, they do need help from some of the other guys. But as long as you have those three dudes out there, you're going to be able to beat anybody in the country that you want to beat. Uh, and that's why they were able to win yesterday because they just have the better, more experienced guard play. And look, that's an off night for Baylor. You're not going to see that twice in a row normally, right? You know, where everybody else doesn't really contribute. But on nights where you don't get it from Flagler or Mayer or, uh, excuse me, Meyer, you know, they've got they've got those three guys who can pick up the scoring slack and they did it in a meaningful way. And the thing about Baylor is they don't make that same mistake, that kind of game twice, right? They don't play a similarly bad game by Baylor standards twice. Well, I mean, they certainly could. I mean, we're going to have to see. Obviously, they don't die. They don't die. Uh, That's just not what they well, do. I mean, they, haven't, the, they haven't to this point. This, they haven't to this point in this season. Um, but I think it's certainly within the capabilities. What you're not going to see today is the fact that, I mean, you don't want to say it was a, a layup. I mean, you do want to say it was a layup yesterday. I mean, Baylor could have very easily overlooked Kansas State, and they probably, I mean, they could have gotten away with it 100 times out of 100. But today, they're, they're going to be ready to play today, I guess, is, is the gist of what I'm saying. Uh, they'll be ready to go. Oklahoma State's going to be ready to go. This is going to be a heavyweight fight. Um, one on Cade Cunningham and Avery Anderson offensively against what Baylor has to offer on defense. Uh, it's going to be awfully exciting to watch. Uh, let's, let's preview this game because I, I think it's just easier to do the kind of the quadrants, the bracket, just do it that way. I'm expecting another Baylor win today, uh, but our friends at Bet Online, I believe, open the line at nine. I think it stays there. Look, the the problem for the problem for Baylor or Oklahoma State rather is this. This is a Baylor team that rebounds the hell out of the basketball when they face a team of similar size, right? They attack the glass and make you work to clear the ball out on every single defensive possession. And if you want second chance opportunities, you got to work your tail off to get them. So for Oklahoma state, I think the key in this game is the turnover number. Like if you lose, if they lose a turnover battle, they're not winning this basketball game. Um, Yesterday, Kansas state, I think they turned them over 21 times, Baylor. They turned them over 21 times. I don't think that happens again. And so I would say I think Baylor bounces back from what we would describe as a poor Baylor performance. And I think it's going to be – I think we see a third Baylor win against Oklahoma State this season. I think it's a perfect matchup for the Bears. You look at the last game uh, Baylor and Oklahoma State played back on March 4th. Uh, Oklahoma State shot 53% from the field and lost by 11. So I don't know how much room for improvement is there really – um, against a, uh, an excellent Baylor team. Oklahoma State's lack of size is a problem. The one thing that, you know, you can't really account for statistically or you can't really, um, you know, quantify is the tournament atmosphere. You see so many times you come to the tournament and you throw out, you know, what's on paper immediately when the best player on the floor is is playing for the other team. And that's going to be the case tonight. So Oklahoma State has a puncher, puncher's chance because they got a, a lot of good punchers uh, on their team. Um but Baylor obviously should be favored. Nine sounds about right. Uh, Oklahoma State, I think they're going to keep this game close at least for a while um, just because the, the, the tenacity of the team and, and the way they like to play basketball. Um, but Baylor 
probably advances out of the big out of that side of the, the Big 12 tournament. All right, let's go to the weirder side of the bracket. This is the Oklahoma, Kansas, Texas Tech, Texas side. So OU and Kansas, I mean, besides the Kansas State half that they played against Baylor that allowed them to lose by 48 points and maybe the whole TCU game they played against Kansas State the other day, uh, the first half Oklahoma played was one of the worst performances I've ever seen from a Big 12. I've seen from a Big 12 team this season. Uh, plain and simple. They were and, – and look, credit, credit where credit's due. The KU defense was stout in that half. But – Oklahoma gets uh, goes on a heater in the second half and they're able to come back. I think the lead was what down to three at one point in time, but Corbett, here's my problem. And I've mentioned this before the last five minutes of games. And I know Austin Reeves, his shot making is very good in the, in the second half. It was very good. It becomes predictable. And that's when you have to move the ball around. Austin Reeves did a good job of, you know, spotting up and hitting some threes uh, matriculating his way into the post a couple times for some good shots, but he ended up six of 15 from the floor. And uh, a lot of those misses, it felt like came in the end of the game. And it felt like those offensive possessions was a whole lot of people standing around a whole lot of Austin Reeves going to that right wing and trying to find a shot and not getting a good one. So as good as he was towards the back end, like Kansas is too good of a defensive team to let you beat them with the same thing, six straight possessions. And as soon as they got wise to it, they'd hedge up on that ball screen. They wouldn't let Austin Reeves get any space. There was nowhere to go. And so I, I thought last night was a um, was another example of why closing out those games, Oklahoma, and this is on Lon Kruger, he's got to emphasize finding new ways to score late in games. Yeah, to your point about an awful performance in the first half, I saw on uh, a couple of people on Twitter last night talking about it might be the, the worst half of basketball played by a ranked team at this point in the season uh, in, in a very long time. It was it was absolutely atrocious. They turned the ball over a million times, couldn't hit a shot. One of the problems uh, statistically that is gonna, that's going to prove your point about Austin Reeves is the fact that Emoja Gibson took two shots yesterday. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, Austin Reeves took as many shots as Harmon, Elijah Harkless, and Emoja Gibson combined. Uh, he went six for 15 from the field. Like you said, at the end of the game, he was just shooting every time he touched the ball, which is all the time because he's the point guard. Uh, played 38 minutes, had some tired legs at the end of that game. They scored 47 points in the second half and still lost the game by seven. Uh, all around, Oklahoma is in free fall mode. They had the one win over Iowa State, which was closer than it should have been late, but they've lost, I think, six of seven at this point. Uh, not where you want to be heading into the tournament. And it feels very, very similar. I know I mentioned it before to the, the way the Trey Young team in, uh, exited the regular season in the in the Big 12 tournament when they were going to be a one seed yeah. halfway through the season and ended up um, kind of just sliding backwards until Rhode Island beat them in the first round. Oklahoma is in a straight free fall mode. Straight the, the problem I have is that this team should be better than that team was, right? Like they've got more options because this is a team that beat Alabama shorthanded without, I think the key might hear. And I, I look, I don't want to wrap on Austin Reeves too much, but I think there's something to the fact that Austin Reeves – was not in the game when they beat Alabama. And the the ball moves a bit more. It sticks with Austin Reeves. And so when you play an athletic defense like Kansas, you've got to move them around. And, and I thought they did a good job of that in transition. They caught them off guard with some of those transition threes. I thought those were actually good shots within the game. Brady Manick hit a couple huge threes to get him back. And I thought that run in, 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 uh, in Oklahoma was in them. The same way that run was in them when they played Texas. They've got to sustain that, though, because when those runs happen, you know, 
um, we see it with Sean McNeil all the time, right? When Sean McNeil gets hot, it eventually stops. Why? Because defenses wise up to it. So what do they do when they succeed? They find your Taz Shermans. They find your Deuce McBrides, and they're able to have those options available to you. Oklahoma didn't do that. Now, on the Kansas side, no Dave McCormick. That has a lot to do with what happened in this game, right? That has a lot to do with why, you know, Kansas played their asses off on defense, and they knew they had to make up for that, that, that uh, you know, what they were lacking in the post. They went small to start off the game. They defended the hell out of Oklahoma. And they got big performances from Oshai Agbaji, especially. He was 9 of 14. He scored 26 points on uh, 9 of 14, shooting 4 of 8 from beyond the arc. They got 17 from Marcus Garrett, who had a pretty pretty quiet 17, uh, five rebounds, four assists, three steals. So he was doing all the Marcus Garrett things. Mitch Lightfoot had a really nice game off the bench. They didn't start him, but they used his size at points, kind of when Brady Manick was, you know, uh, feeling a little slow, I guess, at times, you know, get feeling that wind because he was out there for so long. I thought Mitch Lightfoot picked his spots very well and had an efficient night uh, for Kansas last night. I thought the 10 shots he took, most of them were good shots for the most part, good shots. And so I liked the way that I thought Bill Self outcoached Long Kruger. I thought Bill Self coached a smart game considering what they were missing. And I, I thought Kansas went out there and put on a pretty good performance. And look, those shots for a team like Oklahoma are going to fall in the second half. They weathered it and were able to finish out the game. They always had a response, whether it be on offense or defense. Uh, this was a very impressive performance without Kansas's most consistent offensive player. At the end of the game, you had a little a snapshot of, you know, a little best on best with, with uh, Austin Reeves trying to drive to, to get closer. And uh, Marcus Garrett, you know, knocked the ball off his knee, not a bounce. And that's kind of a snapshot of, you know, Marcus Garrett is maybe the best. I mean, I think last year he won Naismith Defensive Player of the Year or, or maybe just uh, – or National Defensive Player of the Year, maybe uh, just Defensive Player of the Year in the Big 12. But uh, he's excellent on defense. Austin Reeves, I mean, he's a good ball handler. He's not the best ball handler. Right. And uh, Marcus Garrett – had a, had a big advantage uh, in that aspect yesterday. If Oshai Agbaji knocks shots like that down in the tournament, I know texted you, last, texted you this last night, Kansas can be a second weekend team if they knock shots down like that. Uh, weird with the way the offense works without David McCormick. It's much more spread out, and they don't necessarily have knockdown shooters. Christian right. Brown yesterday, 0 for 4, 0 for 3 from downtown. Uh, but Marcus Garrett, a quiet 17, like you said. Agbaji knocking down shots. Wilson added 9. I like the way Kansas played all the way around. Um, but as importantly, I just I don't like the way, you know, Oklahoma's playing at all right now. But I really like the way Kansas looked uh, and Marcus Garrett really shut down Austin Reeves and it mattered most. Let's move on to the Texas Tech, Tech game. This was I mean, you know, you talk about like what like I, I've been to, I've been to conference tournaments. Have you have you ever been to a, you know, a conference? Tournament I have not Thursday? been to a conference tournament. So usually like the last game on a conference tournament Thursday or Friday, if there's four games, depending on the tournament feels very drunk. It's like, you know, like everybody's kind of hazy if you've been there all day long. Um, you know, it's usually later at night and, you know, this game was that, I mean, this was a bizarre basketball game because of a, I mean, and this, this speaks to how talented Texas is. I think Texas tech got every 50, 50 ball. Like there were, there was not a 50, 50 ball that Texas tech didn't get to. And once again, to show you how talented Texas is when push came to shove, when the chips were down, Matt Coleman, especially that guy is, you know, one thing that you need in March, right, is you want to know who, who should have the ball in their hands at the end of the game, right? Um, from November on, from the Maui Invitational on, has there been any question about who should have the ball in their hands for Texas 
and the game was in line. Now, I know that it wasn't the case when they played West Virginia. It worked out because it was a brilliant play, a brilliant dribble drive, and a great kick to the corner. But has there been any doubt? When things have not gone right with Andrew Jones and Courtney Ramey and Greg Brown last night, who stepped up for the Texas Longhorns last night? And, not, and also, side answer is Kai Jones and Jericho Sims were brilliant to the end of that game. That's that's one sneaky thing. Well, you're not going to mention your favorite player. I mean, Brock Cunningham. Brock Cunningham with, a, with, a, with an important steal where he saved it with the ball going out of bounds. And we're saying, why is – and he left – and, and to Shaka's credit, like, he does not make late coaching adjustments. We're like, Brock Cunningham probably shouldn't be in the game right now. What the hell is going on? It's End not to Shaka's credit. He got bailed out, but – they made a great play. It's why kids in the game. I mean, things were going haywire on Shaka's bench. He he managed the game well enough, and they they won. I mean, I, I thought uh, that run at the end of the half was super important. Texas, in classic Shaka Smart team fashion, just gives the lead back to, to Texas Tech at the beginning of the second. Just hands and says, okay, here we go. And Fran and Bob were talking about the broadcast saying, I think the most important, you know, Fran always talked about his coaching days, the beginning of the second half being the most important part of the game to his teams. This is why he stretched that, stressed that. Um, bizarre game, odd game. I thought Texas Tech showed a lot of things that could be problematic for teams in the tournament. If they play like that last night, they're going to beat a lot of teams in the tournament, I think. We talked a lot last night about how mentally weak Texas is on top of the, the Greg Brown meltdown and some other stuff going on. Texas with like 90 seconds left, two minutes left, went down four, took the ball out of bounds, stepped on the inline, gave the ball right back to Texas Tech, took a timeout, and ended up winning the basketball game after all of that happened at the end of the game. Um, you kind of saw a snippet of uh, what Shaka Smart did at VCU with, with all the press, and you saw it at the end, and they have very good bodies to do that with very long guards. To your point about Matt Coleman, uh, I've watched a, a little bit of Texas this year, not a ton. I've watched enough to know how good some of their guards are. Matt Coleman was so much faster than any Texas Tech defender last night. He could get to the cup at, at will, really, run dribble right by guys with both his right hand and his left hand. He, he actually, the, the, the drive that won the game, he didn't do that. He got fouled. Um, but Matt Coleman and then clutch free throws all the way around, some knockdown three-point shooting. Kai Jones, that turnaround 18-foot jump shot and the putback dunk he had earlier. And, and the three, and he gave him a really nice three in the perimeter. I, mean, I think... You could point you could point to certain plays like Kai Jones was what I know Matt Coleman was the ultimate difference, but Kai Jones gave them three awesome shots and some offensive possessions that ultimately you could say turned the game. That that you know seven huge points. He ends up with ten, but he gets ten, seven, and two blocks in twenty-seven minutes of play. How many teams can bring that guy off the bench? This is the problem, right? You bring Brock Cunningham, the energy guy off the bench. Oh, let's not forget Jace Febris who had a debility. I mean, we haven't mentioned him all year long because of the awful knee injury he had. And Holly Rowe talked about, I'm sure you heard him, you know, about, about how he was uncomfortable getting back to action. But last night, Febris was in there. He was confident. I know he didn't make all of his threes, but he was there to play. He went five and nine from deep, which is really all you can ask for. 15 points off the bench in 24 minutes. And like you mentioned with Matt Coleman, he played 39 minutes, Corbett. So there's something to the fact that, look, I can get wherever I want to, whenever I want to. It's actually kind of, you know, it reminds me of Chris Paul in a lot of ways. But when you play that many minutes, there is a certain aspect of preservation that you have to have, right? And then for the really great players, or in his, and he's a great player, or in his case, the veteran players, you know how old uh, Matt Coleman is? 23. 
he knew when it was time to turn it on. And this is what makes Texas so dangerous. That guy's got the ball. Kai Jones is playing with confidence. Jace Febber's hitting threes. And we didn't mention just the mental collapse. And I don't mean to rag on the kid, but Greg Brown was going through it yesterday. Greg Brown was really going through it yesterday and came out of the game, did not see him again. That's what allowed Brock Cunningham and Royce Ham to play some. Not saying it's, it's a recipe to win moving forward and Shaka consider, consider playing those guys more. But, you know, I, I thought for the spot, Shaka knew his players and said, look, this is not a, a spot to bring him back in. They need Greg moving forward. They definitely need him moving forward 110%, I think, if they want to make a Final Four, which uh, this team is talented enough to do. Make no bones about it. But this was a well-managed game from Shaka when I have been very critical of his game management in a lot of spots. So I, I think this is an awesome job from Shaka down the stretch. And I, look, I thought, I thought Chris Beard did a good job too. I, I thought he did a good job. You mentioned I, it uh, regarding... Uh, Deuce McBride about you know benching your 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 leading offensive player. Uh, Mac McClung did not play very many crucial minutes last night. He played at the end, but he only played 25 minutes. That was the he only played 25 minutes last night. That was the fewest out of any Texas Tech starter. He was benched for extended periods of time down the stretch of the game, and it just I mean he went three for eight. We talked about it coming on the broadcast last night. 39 percent shooting. It's, it's been down of late, uh, and and Chris Beard decided he was going to go elsewhere. Um, with leading his offense last night. And that's what we saw Mac McClung not playing as much. And he's the one who hit the game winner against Texas earlier on this season. I like the way Texas looked. I like the way Texas Tech looked too, but they kind of are what we think they are. They just don't necessarily have the juice in them to make a deep uh, tournament run. And Texas, you know, last night, they needed all five of those three from Jace Fabers so they won by a point. So that kind of adds a new wrinkle into their game. Quick pause for the cause. One more time of today's show. It's brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting, best for you protein bar out there right now, guys. Go to builtbar.com. Also go to built uh, bar underscore built on Twitter. Right now they're having their Built Bar Madness. It's a bracket where you guys can go and make your picks for your favorite Built Bar. Today is the 12th, so what we've got on tap today is a matchup uh, between cookies and cream and I believe apple almond crisp in that sweet 16. So go check that out today and vote for your favorite. And also when you guys go to builtbar.com, use that promo code locked on 20. That's L O C K E D O N two zero to get 20% off on your next purchase at builtbar.com. One more thing. Also go check out the Sunday, uh, bracket reveal special, the March madness special. We're doing myself and Big Ten Ben Ben Stevens will host from 6 to 7 live on YouTube, Periscope, on uh, Twitch, I believe, on the Locked On pages. We're hosting a live bracket reveal show with our correspondents from all the other conferences. Going to get you a full breakdown of the bracket. It's going to be a very, very fun time on Sunday evening, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So go check that out on Sunday night. And the thing is here, like Kyler, for Texas Tech, really quickly before we move on, Kyler Edwards, you know, he can't, he cannot go two for 11 and Mac McClung can't go three for eight. Those two guys have to be better. And look, I thought Chris Beard was having to manage two of his better players, not being good scorers. I know, I know Kyler played a lot and he plays excellent defense, but McClung had a couple shots in the, in, in the end of the game. Um, I, I think there is like, I think getting out of the big 12 will do them a load of good. Right. I think there's a lot of teams that have played amazing competition in the big 12 and that's why it's been so frustrating. So, you know, if, if we look now, I, I think Oklahoma might be the exception, right? But if West Virginia steamrolled two teams in the first two rounds of the tournament, right, won two double-digit games, 
would anybody be shocked? I think a lot of people are going to pick West Virginia to lose right now, but those teams are going to benefit so much from getting out of this conference and playing such good competition in the NCAA tournament. I mean, the, and the competition there is good, but let's be honest. This is, you know, the, the top seven in the Big 12, I mean, unless you're playing Illinois or Michigan, and maybe even Ohio State, like you're not going to find that good of competition anywhere else. I think too, like, I don't know what the record is. This is an awfully specific stat, but the percentage of the sweet 16 or percentage of the elite eight that's made up by big 10 and big 12 teams. Like it's probably going to be Gonzaga, a list of big 10 teams, a list of big 12 teams. Once we get to that point in the tournament, because those two conferences are so good. So is Gonzaga. Texas tech is going to end up on the what five through seven line somewhere in there. And they're probably going to steamroll the team because their defense is so relentless against those um, mid-major programs that they can have an off-shooting night and still win by 15. The, the year they went to the uh, national championship game, I think they played Northern Kentucky in the first round. It was tied at halftime, and they just, Northern Kentucky were like 12 points in the second half. Uh, the mid-majors against Texas Tech's defense um, just get so suffocated that I really like the way Texas Tech and, looks, at least early on in the and tournament. And can we mention one more thing? Their offensive rebound la- rebounding last night, they were so outmatched. And they were relentless, man, on the boards. Micah Peavy, like, let's just – that kid is – I know he's just a freshman, but he was all over the place last night. He was, you know, just throwing himself – I mean, he had three offensive boards, throwing himself after balls, making good passes on offensive rebounds. That's the stuff that wins in March. And honestly, it's – the role players did a very good job last night, I thought. I mean, Terrence Shannon gave you 18 points and four rebounds. Santos Silva gives you a 10 and nine and four assists. Those guys carry the load. For them, it's got to be Kyler and Edwards they, and, and Mac McClung. They cannot be going to combine five of 19 from the floor. It just cannot happen. Uh, and that's why they lost the game in which, if you talk to Chris Beard afterwards, you know what he can't say? I- I'm upset with my team's effort. Like, last night, the key is we didn't hit shots. We didn't, you know, we, and we didn't, and, and they, they did down the stretch. That's the key. All right, Corbin, let's preview the other championship, or the championship semifinal, rather, that we have coming up today in the big 12 conference. All right. So now it's Kansas and Texas. The series advantage in this, in this, this year is two nothing in favor of Texas. And that's, what's interesting. The two semifinals we have uh, both are two O advantages to uh, the higher seed. I guess you could say Baylor has a two O advantage this season, Oklahoma state, Kansas has a, uh, excuse me, Texas has a two O advantage on Kansas. So in this Kansas-Texas game, and I think you and I are both going to go the same way here, I think the talent wins out for Texas in this one. No Dave McCormick. I, I think before the game, Shaka Smart goes up to Jericho Sims, you know, gives him a you know, fist bump, you know, a little pound a little of the chest and say, hey, this is your night. Kai Jones, hey, this is your night, all right? This is, this is where tonight you eat. You guys eat tonight on the glass. I think it's about getting downhill finding shooters in the corner. I think it's also finding the big guys cutting, moving around and, and definitely getting them involved in offense because um, the size of Ange tonight is going to be, in, it's going to be substantial. And, and I'm, you know, I think Vegas knows with Texas by one, I know it could be a close game, but I'm, I'm big, a big on the Longhorns here. Another, another spot. Yeah. There's a couple interesting matchups in this game, right? So Marcus Garrett, excellent on ball defender, Matt Coleman, um, excellent, you know, drive to the rim. Uh, point guard, uh, Andrew Jones, nice bottom shooter. I mean, there's a lot of good defense on Kansas' side. The problem is the lack of McCormick. The difference in this game is going to be just how much those big guys can dominate for Texas because you're going to have shot making on both sides. Uh, I'm higher on Kansas now than I was two weeks ago. They've really uh, improved uh, in both making shots and kind of just 
I mean, Bill Self put on a coaching clinic last night. But to the point of that game, Oklahoma played one of the worst halves in the history of Oklahoma basketball and, and lost by nine. They scored 47 points in the second half. Uh, so while Kansas played really well, a lot of that was the fact that Oklahoma, you know, didn't get off the bus until halftime. So I really like Texas tonight. The problem is there's going to be a coaching disparity. I think there was last night too. Shaka got away with a lot of, with, you know, like me and you after the game. Like Texas had no business winning that game yesterday. Uh, they found their I way. Thought, I thought the, move, the Brock Cunningham move was one that made sense and helped them win the game ultimately. Like, and, and the Kai Jones coming in. In retrospect. Uh, uh, but in the aspect of. The Kai Jones. But I mean, Kai Jones like you said, Texas Tech get, got every single 50-50 ball. Um, they got a couple non-travels that went their way. Texas still won. Uh, in this game tonight, I like the way Texas matches up. Uh, Kansas is just a tough team to back because you never know when they're not going to make a shot for an hour and a half. And they uh, can't I, fall behind early. I think that's a big – I know Shaka teams blow leads, but this is not a KU team that's built to play from behind, right? They are not – they cannot let that lead get to 10 to 12 in the first half because Texas will give it away. If any team can come back against it's Texas, but getting all the way back out of a 12-point hole if you're Kansas's offense, especially with no David McCormick, that's going to be a challenge. And Texas is a bad matchup for Kansas, even with David McCormick. Uh, I would not be surprised to see this line to end up about Texas minus two, two and a half. I think it's going to move in that direction. Right. Um, Texas is just an all around, you know, better basketball team right now. And I like Texas tonight to win the game. And then Texas Baylor would be awfully fun uh, as the, as the final. Yeah. I think one thing also to mention here is, you know, ever since that West Virginia loss when Oklahoma state or excuse me, when KU went on that big run, right. Uh, that that run where they won what was it one two three four five six straight games, uh, and they've won three straight since their loss. The one loss they've had, Corbett, in that entire stretch, was Texas. It was a close game, but I think there's just something to be said about Texas being a bad matchup for the Jayhawks. All right, Corbett, one more day to go until championship Saturday. We're we're making our way there. Thank you for giving us some time today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for listening to today's show. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at LOBig12. Follow me at JoshNeighbors underscore. And until next time, my friends, please stay safe. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.